Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. As you are turning there in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, I have to say I love a good pair of jeans, a good pair of blue jeans. Anybody else just really love a good pair of jeans, right? I, I, could, I could live my entire life in jeans. And when I am done living my life, do not bury me in a suit, all right? Put me in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. It can be a church t-shirt that is just fine with me, all right? And put me in the ground. Could you imagine how uncomfortable I will be for all of eternity if you put me in a suit and a tie? But I love a pair of jeans. And not too long ago, I, uh, I got a pair of uh, a perfect pair of jeans. They fit right. The wash was right. The length was right. Everything about them was right. I love these jeans. I had them for a couple of days. We had some friends over. I was wearing my new jeans and we had our fire pit going and one of those little, uh, you know, glowing sparkly things went up in the air and it landed on my new pair of jeans right here. And I swatted it off, no harm, no foul, right? Didn't hurt, nothing was going on, right? But until the next day when I realized it had burned a hole in my brand new perfect pair of jeans. So I was, uh, I was disappointed to say the least. I was a little blue, down about it. So, but I needed a new pair of jeans. So I went and got some jeans. I got the same size, same cut, same brand, same everything. And I put them on and they were not the same length. I don't know how that, I don't know how that works. I think it's fraud to tell us that all of these are the same thing, but they're never the same. They're not. But the place where I bought them, you know, they, they offer free hemming. And so I was going to get them hemmed, right? And I go in there and uh, the, the lady, she measures uh, the length and all that kind of pins it up. I leave. I come back and um, I get them from her and they are too short. Oh, you know, so dis- discouraging. They were like up here like this. And I know that some of y'all wear them like that and it looks cool on you. It does not look cool on me. All right. And so I want them to, you know, go down. And so... Um, but whatever, I just bought two pairs of jeans. One has a hole and one's too short. So we'll just make it work. And uh, so I go for a while, I'm just wearing these. And then after several months, I, th- I think now's the time ethically to buy a third pair of jeans, right? And so I go buy this third pair of jeans, same size, same brand, same wash, same cut, same length, same waist. And I put them on, they're not right. I don't know how to tell it to you. I just don't like these jeans. Uh, but I bought these ones. I'm wearing these ones, you know, and, they, and I'm not going to burn anything in them. I'm not going to cut anything. I'm not going to sit down. These jeans are going to be perfect forever. Um, and you can see in that story, you can see in the way that it relates. And you probably have felt the same way about different things, right? You get discouraged and disappointed and that sort of stuff. And it's just the way life is, you know? You like, you break a heel on some shoes, your favorite fishing rod gets hung in a tree and snaps, you know, while you're kayaking or your friend loses your fishing rod again, you know, that sort of stuff. It just happens and, and we get discouraged or you, or you save up your money and you get a new phone and you have it in your pocket, right? And it's brand new and you pull it out to show somebody and there's a scratch down the middle. You haven't even had time to put a, you know, a screen cover on it or something like that. And so it just, it messes with you. It gets you discouraged and and disappointed. We all feel that way, right? About different things, right? You know, you work on your yard all the time. You go out one day and there was a rabbit and you know exactly where that rabbit ate a big hole in your grass there. And it gets us melancholy. It gets us blue. 
I want to talk about that this morning, and, and I want to say a couple of things. Whether they're small losses that get us discouraged, or they're big things, like the loss of a loved one, or you lose your job, or your house burns down, and we find ourselves in like an, an unreasonable sadness, right? Even sitting in it, we know that this isn't reasonable, but I just feel sad. I feel hurt. I want to share with you these things. I want to speak broadly about them. And I'm, from the beginning, I want to apologize because I know, I personally really do know that many of us face what we would call depression. We battle with this. Some of us just constantly wrestle with it. Some of us, we speak to somebody regularly, a professional. Some of us have medication that is helping. In those, and those of us that are in that space, I want to apologize from the beginning and say, I may not say the right word. I may not say it in the way that you understand it. Or you may use a different word than I use. And so uh, from the outset, let me just say this. If I say something that unintentionally is hurtful, because of the space that you were in, I apologize and I said it wrong, okay? It's on me, right? But hear my heart. I'm trying to just communicate something that I think would be helpful. This morning, I'm gonna use terms like disappointment, which I feel like everybody faces every day, constantly. And sometimes that gets into discouragement, which it just kind of adds up. We don't feel like going any further. And then often, for some of us in different seasons, at some point, we will face what we call depression which really is bigger and heavier and darker than we know how to navigate through. So I wanna say that that's what we are talking about. I also wanna say that this is something that I struggle with. This is something that I constantly feel. So I'm not sharing this with you just as a, as a stranger online. I'm not sharing with this as just a pastor. I am telling you that regularly, I feel what we would call depression, deep darkness. And that even though I can say from today, I'm good. And yesterday was a good day. Monday was not a good day. And so in that space, in this moment, could we just sit and, and talk? Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 so very clearly feels depressed. He so very clearly is discouraged and disappointed. And what was encouraging for me this week, and I hope for you today and maybe for you in the future, is the way in which the, the angel ministers to Elijah and the way in which God specifically ministers to Elijah. And so as you are listening, I pray that this is helpful. I pray that it is not hurtful. I pray that you would not hear me say something like, just, just buck up, buckaroo, or, or just pray your way through it. I'm not saying these things. But I do want to share with you from 1 Kings 19 ways that uh, things that you can do and uh, maybe light at the end of a dark cave that you can walk toward. That's my hope. So 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 18. The context you know. Sometimes in a sermon series, we will preach a text and then skip some text and preach another text. We try to hit thematically so that we get the whole of the story. We have a nine-year plan to get all the way through the Bible, and so I'm excited about that. And so sometimes that requires us to skip uh, sections that may be redundant in their application. However, this is not one of those. Last week, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 18. Now we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19. And last week, Elijah was on a mountain a mountaintop. You remember that? Mount Carmel. 
He prayed and God sent fire down. He is shown to be the hero. He is the victor. He does not stand alone. And I said last week, if you alone stand with God, you do not stand alone, right? Right after that, Elijah lines up the 450 prophets of the false god Baal and kills every single one of them, right? Right there in the middle of everybody. It's a victorious time. It's this strong time. It's this uh, successful time. This has to be literally and figuratively the mountaintop of Elijah's experience. It certainly is one of the mountaintop experiences in the Bible. And then Monday comes, right? The very next day, this is what the Bible says. Ahab, he's the cowardly king of the north, told Jezebel, the wicked I almost said wicked witch of the north, but uh, she's the wicked queen of the north. Everything that Elijah had done. And so Jezebel sent a messenger, an anonymous person. It's like an anonymous note, right? Who wants those? To Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Your life by like the life is like, I'm going to kill you. All right. By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. Has this ever happened to you? I don't, know, I don't know how often you get death threats, but do you ever get like anonymous notes from people or just a, and it doesn't really have to be anonymous. Sometimes we get anonymous notes here at the church. There'll be like something scribbled mean about me on like one of the prayer requests and it goes in the, the deal and then it goes in the trash. And so sometimes those things happen. Um, either sign your name or I don't care. All right. So um, sometimes those will happen, but you probably don't get anonymous notes on prayer cards. You might get um, a troll on Twitter. Somebody just, you don't even know this person, right? And they're just, like ripping you or you're walking through school one day and somebody, just some stranger, they're with their like group of friends so they feel big and bad and they'll say something about your shirt or your shoes or something. And it just hurts. It's like, what? Well, I was like having a good, I like these shoes, you know, that sort of thing. And so you're feeling down about it. Just somebody rips at you and you can have this mountaintop experience and then all of a sudden your knees are taken out from you and you feel down and depressed more so than you should, right? Does that ever happen? I know it does. It happens to all of us. And that's what happened to him literal mountaintop experience to, well, you can read it. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. I mean, it's so confusing really when we're reading the story is why is Elijah afraid? Just the previous night, Elijah is shown to be the worshiper of the true God. And Jezebel worships the false God. And so when she says, by the names of the gods or by the power of the gods, Elijah should say, not real gods, not afraid of you, that sort of thing. Then I will make your life. He becomes unreasonably afraid like a lot of us. And he does, he's tempted to do what I am tempted to do. Just to be honest with you, I am a runner. Anybody else a runner? Anybody else when things get hard, you feel like taking off, right? There's a major repair in your house unexpected and you think to yourself I'm going to put a picture over this and I'm going to sell it and uh and we'll deal with it later right hopefully they won't notice in the inspection and we'll see how this goes right or something goes negative at work it's just a bad day your boss has a bad whatever you know and you're looking at job listings in there you know you're supposed to be selling something and you're like no I'm going to find someone that appreciates me right or your fiance turns out to be a bridezilla or a groom goblin. I just made that up. I don't know if that's a thing. And you think to yourself, man, we're going to find another one, right? I don't need this person. I just want a wedding, all right? Whoever's standing across doesn't matter, all right? You want to run. You want to take off. That's the way that it is for me. Elijah was a runner. 
He, he took off, he literally takes off. He takes off running. In chapter 18 and verses one and two, God gave him an assignment. He says, I want you to go to this certain place and I want you to do a certain thing. But in chapter 19, all on his own, he takes off running. There's a new country song by a guy named Mitch Russell. I don't know him, but he sings with a lady named Trisha Yearwood. I know her. And the lyrics say, slightly edited, I ran like crazy to nowhere fast from myself and from my past. From my hometown and everyone I knew, I ran from God when he got too close. I ran from love and the hearts I broke and from all the wreckage I left in my rear view. This is what I feel like doing. And I don't, I don't know if you can relate to that. There are times where I have to tell myself, you are not allowed to run. You have to stay. You have to stay in it. You have to walk through it. I will say as a side note, physically running when you feel like running actually does help, all right? So if you feel like bailing on whatever, uh, go for like a two mile run or like a quarter mile run and then one and a half mile walk. Um, Whatever it is, you go do that and it does help. But uh, Elijah runs and in his running, in his running, we see some telltale signs, some obvious caution flags that Elijah is depressed. First of all, it says that uh, verse three, when he came to Beersheba, which was about 120 miles away, that belonged to Judah, which is in the Southern kingdom. Remember he's from the Northern kingdom. He ran out of Jezebel's jurisdiction. He left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey. I looked that up. That would be about the equivalent of walking from where we're sitting now to uh, Woolly Hollow State Park. All right. So he ran 120 miles and he takes a, a walk to Woolly Hollow, went on a day's journey in the wilderness and he sat down under a broom tree. He just ran to nowhere and sat down. The first warning flag in the one of the reasons that we know that Elijah was discouraged or depressed is that he isolated himself, that he pulls away from the other relationships, maybe emotionally pulls back, that sort of thing. He just pulls back away from the relationships. He literally runs away. As a person who isolates myself, as somebody that is an emotional runner, I can tell you one of the texts in the Bible that is so confronting on this, this isolation and how you should not isolate yourself, not for long periods of time. I'm not talking about taking a little time by yourself. I'm talking about long periods of isolation. Comes in the night that Jesus was arrested. Y'all remember that? Remember the night that Jesus was arrested? Did you remember that two people rejected him? Well, honestly, like everybody rejected him, but two in particular are focused on. The first one is Judas, right? He tells the bad guys, I'm gonna kiss the one that you're looking for. He walks up and he kisses Jesus on the cheek and they know that's the one to arrest. They do it at night because they're cowards. They're afraid of the city. And so they arrest him, Judas betrayed him. And uh, then Peter betrays him. Peter betrays him three times, not one time, but three times. The Bible says that Judas, when he realized what he had done, He went to the bad guys and he threw the money that they bought Jesus with at the feet of the bad guys. And then he went off by himself and he hung himself. That he went off by himself part is the part that just hurts. Do not isolate yourself. The Bible says that when Peter realized what he'd done, he had ran out and he wept bitterly. He cried bitterly, right? Which is the natural response to that sort of disappointment and discouragement. But the next time that you see Peter, you know what he's doing? He's eating and he's fishing with his friends. It's okay to spend some time by yourself. It's okay if you don't want anybody to see you crying. 
you know, you run off. I wish I had the ability to not make myself cry in front of people. I do it too much, right? He runs off and he cries a little bit, but then at some point you have to get back with your friends. You have to force yourself to go fishing. I imagine he didn't want to, but he did. One of the telltale signs is that Elijah isolated himself, but then he gets out of focus. You really see this in verse 10, but you can see it in verse five as well. This is what he prays to God. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword I alone am left. What happens, self-care is good. Paying attention to the way your body is, is telling you you're tired or you're, or you're hungry, that's good. You should take care of yourself. You should focus in. You should listen to your body, right? But sometimes when we are discouraged or depressed, one of the things we do is we get out of focus with the way that we see things. Elijah knew that there were at least 100 other prophets. He's not alone, but he felt like he was because things were skewed. When we're depressed and when we're sad, we don't see things clearly. He knows that he's not alone. In fact, in the previous text, it says that all the witnesses, all the people of Israel fell into the dirt and they, uh, they, they, they praised God. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There's nothing about this statement that's true, but it was out of focus. On Instagram, uh, if you have Instagram, you can post a picture and there's a feature called tilt shift. And there's two options. There's a radial shift and then there's a linear shift. And what it means is you can post a picture of like, say like a cup of coffee. You have a really great cup of coffee. You're gonna post a picture of it. I don't know why we do that, but we do. And there's a cup of coffee there and you'll take the radial tilt shift and you put it over the, the cup, right? And it focuses the cup and everything else around it becomes blurry. It brings our attention to the cup, right? When we're depressed, we do that. We tilt shift. We tilt shift in on ourselves. We see ourselves, not so clearly though, but we're so zeroed in ourselves that we can't really see that there are other people that do care about you. There are other people that are struggling. There are other people that are going through these things. I don't know why we do that. I don't know why I do that, but I do that. And Elijah did that. You can see it in his prayer. He isolates himself. He gets out of focus. And then he gets into despair. He says, he prayed to the Lord that he might die. And he said, I have had enough. Lord, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors. Obviously he is better. We also know that he doesn't actually want to die. Remember in verse three, it says that he became afraid and he ran for his life. He is self-preserving. He is doing what he can do to protect himself. He doesn't actually want to die, but here's the difference. And I think that this is where a lot of us get. Obviously, side note, I wanna say this, and you need to hear me. You need to hear the preacher say this and listen to me. If you feel like it would be better for you or someone else if you were to die, if you are saying that it would be better for you or someone else if you were to die, you need to get help. You need to ask for help. And there is help. Don't feel that way. It is not true. We know he doesn't feel this way, but for a lot of us, what we end up doing is not caring if something else dies, right? We start to think, well, I don't really care if my marriage falls apart. We get so out of focus. We've isolated ourselves. We don't care if the marriage dies. We don't care if our career dies. We don't care if the goal or the project dies. We don't care if these things that we were working on dies. I don't care anymore. A couple of signs, three real signs, isolation, out of focused reality, and a lack of caring if something were to die. These are what Elijah is dealing with. These are the things that he is feeling. 
The story goes on though. Look in verse five. It says that, and I love this. It says that then he laid down to sleep under that broom tree and suddenly an angel touched him. All right, that sounds so uh, touched by an angel really, doesn't it? Um, but it sounds so uh, miraculous. But everything that happens in these next few verses is so normal, so reality. I want you to really listen to this because everything the angel does, even though it's a divine being, everything the angel does, you can do. The angel touched him and then the angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked and there was on his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones. He looks up and there's, there's a on hot stones. I, I don't know how, what do you think? Here's your options. One, the angel built a fire and got the stones hot. And so he baked bread on the stones. Two, the angel has super angel powers and he's like touched it and it lit up like, a, like, a, like an electric stove. You know, like that, that could happen. Or three, it's in Arkansas and the stones are hot enough that you could bake the bread on it. What do you think? Or Texas, right? Right? Either way, there was bread baked on a stone and there was a jug of water. Sounds great. So he ate and drank and he laid down again. And then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. That's so caring, right? It's compassionate. So he got up and ate and he drank. And then on the strength of that food, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he entered a cave there and he spent the nights. Look at the ministry of the angel. Like I said, when we are in something dark like this, we want this big miraculous healing, but really there's these small little things and don't discount what I'm about to share with you. I truly believe this isn't just physical, it's spiritual. Here's the way that the, the angel ministers to him. First of all, he gives him food. When we're discouraged and when we're depressed, a lot of times we'll skip a meal. We don't feel like eating anymore. We're not hungry or if what we do eat, we just snack on things that we know are not healthy for us. You can't do that. You can't do that. We are one thing, body and soul. You need to eat, you need to eat well. You need to eat right. It's not the point of this sermon, but let me share with you a couple of things that I believe I can defend from scripture, that I believe are really true and good advice. The first one is this, you need to eat as worship. You need to eat as worship. Doesn't that sound crazy? When's the last time somebody told you to eat as worship? You'd think it'd be a major theme in Baptist life, but it is true. You need to eat as worship. God made food and he made it to taste delicious, all right? And he gave you the ability to taste various nuances of food, seasoning and the way that we cook things. It is worship, it is good to eat the food that God made for us, right? So you need to eat some of the foods that God makes, like that's fruits and vegetables and not processed stuff, all right? I'm not against processed stuff. I love processed stuff. I'm just telling you, sometimes we need to eat better. You need to eat as worship. You need to eat uh, humbly. God doesn't need food, but you do. And so we eat thanking God that he made food for us to eat, that he has graced us with food. And so we eat humbly, we eat as worship, and we eat with other people. When we feel down, when we feel discouraged, I want to encourage you to try at least one meal, maybe one meal a week, maybe one meal a day, where you force yourself to eat with other people that are life-giving, because it's around food. Listen, this sounds like something that I'm just making up. The Bible literally starts with, of every tree of this garden you may eat. God made food and it ends with the marriage supper of the lamb, all right? God is all about eating, all right? Jesus was either going to a meal or leaving a meal or talking about eating. Sounds like a Baptist, right? 
That's the way that we should do. The first thing is that the angel ministers to him through food. The second thing that he ministers through is rest. Listen to me, you are not made to work as hard as you are working. Your busyness and hurriedness is what is pushing you down and you will not hurry your way out of it. We are killing ourselves as Americans through this glorification of workaholism. I've often heard it said that workaholism, addiction to work, is the only celebrated addiction in our culture. We celebrate it. We promote people. You get more money if you become addicted, if you burn out your soul to your company and you are killing yourself, you are killing your family, you are killing your church. You need to rest. God rested on the seventh day. You should rest. God commanded us to rest. You need to rest. And at the end of a day, go home. And when I mean the end of a day, I'm talking like 4.35, 6, not 8, 9, 10 o'clock. You need to go home, put your work down. There'll be more time tomorrow. Do it tomorrow and rest. Sleep, sleep for more than eight hours. I know everybody's like, eight hours is what? Not really, sleep. And at the end of the week, take a full day. I just read this fantastic book on this topic called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And in it, here's a couple of quotes. Dallas Willard is quoted as saying, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual lives of this day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Other quotes from the book are, people are too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. The new speed of life isn't Christian, it's antichrist. There is a reason people talk about walking with God and not running with God. Slow down and rest. The angel lets him rest. Notice in this story, Elijah sleeps, three sleeps, three sleeps. The man was tired. He was burnt out and he needed to sleep. Food, rest, and time. You see this in verse six. It says that the angel uh, gave him some food and water and then Elijah ate it and then he laid down. Don't you hear that like the, the compassionate sort of maternal or paternal, the, 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 like the, the parent way that the angel treats Elijah? It's the same way as like if one of your children had a fever, you go in there and you, you're helping them, you're turning off the lights, you're putting something cold on their head, that sort of stuff. You're like, here, drink a little bit of this, eat this, like a little saltine, you know? And then we all say, we have all said, you need to sleep. They gave him time. The word of God could have said, and the angel appeared and said, here, eat this, get up, let's go. Buck up, buckaroo. It's not that bad. Fight your way through it. Put on a smiley face, let's go. He didn't say that. The angel literally standing there lets Elijah lay back down and fall asleep because what he needed was rest. He needed time. When you get a tattoo, all right? When you get a tattoo, there's a, there's a period of time in which it needs to be covered and it needs to be protected. It'll get all bloodied and bruised and nasty. It'll get infected if you don't let it have that time and it'll get ugly. And I know a lot of you think that tattoos are ugly all the time, but go with me on this, all right? You need to give it time. It's like that with tattoos. It's like that with cooking a good steak. It has to rest. You need time. You need time. The angel gives him time. So listen, you didn't get the promotion. Give it some time. Before you make any rash decisions, give it some time. 
Don't immediately find out you didn't get the promotion then quit your job and walk out, you know? Let's, let's wait three sleeps. Let's wait three sleeps and then we'll decide whether or not. So she broke up with you. She broke your heart. Don't become a priest, all right? Let's wait just a second. There's plenty of fish in the sea or whatever. Your genes have a hole in them, that sort of stuff. Give yourself a moment. How much more so when you lose a child, when you lose your job, when your house burns down? One of the most damaging things to our souls is the way that we will, we will numb the pain by shoving distractions into our hearts and into our minds. We don't just deal with the loss. Death and loss are natural parts of life. So is grief and time. You are allowed to hurt. You need time. He gave him food. He gave him rest. He gave him time. He gave him presents. And five and seven, the angel of the Lord touched him. The angel of the Lord came close enough to gently wake him up, right? The word of God could have said, and a voice from heaven came down and said, Elijah, eat, get up, walk, you know, that sort of stuff. But he doesn't. Everything in here is in here on purpose. God has called people before. God has given instructions before in this very same Bible in which he does not touch the person. In fact, sometimes angels show up and the person tries to touch them, like worship them or grab their feet or something. And the angel's like, no, wait, back up. Let's not do this. We're no touchy, you know, that sort of thing. But here the angel touches Elijah. Why? Because the angel, what Elijah needed was presence, was somebody sitting next to him, was somebody with an arm around him, a hug. Like he needed that because that's the way that we are built. That's what Elijah needed, somebody to, to just compassionately sit there. You know, Elijah tried to run off by himself. I can picture it this way. Elijah gets to Beersheba and he tells his servant, you need to stay here. And the servant's like, ah, oh, man, I can't let you go out there. You're kind of old. You can't go out there by yourself. You can't walk. And Elijah's like, not now, Papa Elf, as he runs off and buries his head in his self-loathing. But then the angel appears and helps him. He does not isolate him. Listen, it's important that you take a little time, but you cannot isolate. You need to be around other people. So maybe if you're going through a hard time, after three sleeps, let's say, you call somebody up and you say, I need to get coffee. I need to just sit. I need to just talk to somebody. I need to just be with somebody, right? I'm not gonna vomit all my problems on you. I'm not going to just be a, a Debbie Downer or something like that, but maybe I will be. I just want to sit and I just want to sit with somebody, right? That's what you need. You need to go get that. If you know somebody that is going through something, you give them three sleeps and then you show up, right? You knock on the door unexpectedly. Hey. You lost your job and that sucks. Sorry, I gave you three days. Now I have queso. And we're gonna sit here with queso and we're gonna talk about the wonder of cheese, all right? We're just going to sit in this place. Do not let people isolate themselves. Look, some depression needs professional help and medication. And that is very true. And I really, really don't want any of you that have tried these things in good faith and effort for more than a few times to feel like I am cheapening your pain or your hurt in any way, I am not. You probably need to get some help past these things. But all of these things that I am sharing with you, all of these things you can do, even if you are not a Christian, even if you're not a follower of God, I believe if you do these things, you can reject Jesus, do these things, and things will get better. Because even if you reject our creator, he still created you in a certain way. And this is the way that we are wired. We need these things. But for those of us who are Christians, 
We have a soul that has a savior. And so I don't believe that this is the end. I believe it's a good place to start. I don't believe that these things will fix everything. All those pains will go away. It didn't for Elijah. There's still more to the story. Look at nine again. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies with the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and now they're looking to kill me. And then he said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by and a great mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire that roared and raged, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came from him or came to him and said, what are you doing here? He says the same answer. I was zealous. They killed everybody else. I'm all alone and they're trying to kill me. And then the Lord said to him, look, I want you to go and return. This is verse 15. I want you to go and return by the way that you came out of the wilderness in Damascus. And when you arrive, you anoint Azael as king over Aram, which is Syria. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nemishi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maholah, as prophet in your place. And then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. This is a ton of stuff that doesn't answer what Elijah just said, right? God just starts talking. I want you to go back, and I've got some stuff for you to do. Verse 18, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You can do all of these things and not be a follower of God. But if you are a follower of God, God ministers to your soul in these ways. First of all, he ministers through the word of the Lord. You need the Bible. You need rest, you need food, you need friends, you need the Bible. You need the word of God. You need that in your life. Jesus, while he was being tempted, said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by the words that come from God's mouth. Psalms 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And the whole thing is about how beautiful and sweet and good God's instructions and his commands and his, um, his, his statutes are for our soul. You need the Bible. You need it when you're depressed. You need it when you're sad. You know why? Because so much of our depression and so much of our discouragement comes from us believing lies. Lies about the way you look, the way that you were formed, your purpose, your being, your value. You start believing things like no one will care. You start believing things like you're a waste or that you've messed up too much. You start believing those things and what you need is to hear the very words of God whisper past the whispers of the lies and say, I love you. I made you that way on purpose, for a reason, for a purpose, for right now. They care, I care. You need to hear God say those things. God ministers through his word. He also ministers through his presence. It's not just the angel that was there. It was God. It says that he stood in the presence of the Lord and at that moment the Lord passed by. God was with him. This is a thing for Elijah. He had this nagging, gnawing, relentless feeling and it seems that he always felt alone. 
I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but I bet you so many of us with, we can be in a crowd, you can be with a loving spouse and you still feel so very alone. You are not alone. I am not alone. God is with me. God is with us. God ministers through his word. He ministers through his presence and he ministers through a whisper, peace. Look, if you hear God saying that he is dis- uh, disappointed with you, that he's disgusted by you, that he's just heaping guilt on you, that you're living this life and you have messed up so bad, you got that from somewhere else. That is not what God is saying. He is whispering to you, gently speaking. It wasn't the roar of a fire or the rumble of an earthquake or the crashing of the wind that was breaking apart the cliffs. It was a gentle word that said, Elijah, God said his name, Elijah. What are you doing here? He not only ministers through that peace, but he also ministers through that purpose. And all of those, you remember those words, Jehu and all that kind of stuff, all those things. And like, what, 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 when did a ram come into God's purview? You know, like, I want you to anoint this king and anoint that king and pick the next prophet. It sounds like God is not answering him. Elijah just bore his soul. He just laid out, this is how I'm hurting. And it sounds like God's not answering him, but God is answering him. God says, listen, I know, I know you hurt and that's real. And I still have stuff for you to do. A lot of us, we get really discouraged because we feel worthless. Like I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a great pastor or employee. I'm not that great of a citizen, whatever. We just believe that. We have no purpose, but God speaks back and says, no, I've got a really honorable thing for you to do. Elijah, I want you to anoint the king of your nation and the neighboring nation. I want you to anoint the next prophet that will speak for me. These are the honorable things you gotta do. And listen to me, every person sitting in this room, God has an honorable thing for you to do. It is honorable. It is respectable. It is good, you should be proud to be a good mom, to be a sweet wife, or a not so sweet wife sometimes, just to be a wife, you know? To be a husband, to provide, to do the best you can. Doesn't matter if you compare to the guy down the street, you do the best you can, you provide. And that is honorable. And that is good, that you are a good employee, that you are a nice neighbor that you're a good citizen, that you live this life. If that is all you do in this life, you did well. That is God's purpose in your life. And you own that, you walk in that. This is who I am. This is what God called me to do. That's what he gives to Elijah. He not only gives him peace and presence in his word, but he gives him a purpose. And God has a purpose for you. Furthermore, he gives him people. He says, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel. I've told you all this before. If you're new with us, you don't know this, but I was bullied in high school, right? I went to high school 96 to 2000 and I was, uh, and back then we didn't have like national campaigns about bullying, right? It just was a part of life, right? And long before me, it was worse, right? So anyhow, back in my day, um, there was just, there was like the little scrawny kids and there was big kids. And if you were scrawny and ugly like I was and you just got beat up, it's the way it was, right? And it hurt. It hurt. I'm not saying that it didn't, and I'm not saying that they should have done it. I'm just saying that it hurt. You get physically hurt. And then, but that didn't even hurt as bad as like the names that people call you, the things that they said about you. 
And largely, that was rooted, for my experience, that was rooted in the fact that in my little high school there, I was one of the only Christians, and I was certainly the only vocal Christian. And I refused to live my life the way that culture expected me to live. I didn't cuss. I didn't disrespect girls. I didn't sleep around. I did not get drunk. Those four things in my tiny little Texas town were all you did and played football. That was our life, right? And I didn't do these things. And so I got ridiculed. I got beat up. I got bullied. And 100% honest and vulnerable with you, it rewired me to where I feel constantly lesser and alone. I got to this little Bible college or this little Christian college in Florida. And there just happened to be about 7,000 students at that college. And all 7,000 of us lived our high school experience similarly, right? None of us bent our knee to the culture. We were Christians and we were proud of it. We walked and followed after Jesus. Listen, God walks up to Elijah. His presence surrounds Elijah. He gives him peace. He gives him presence. He gives him, he gives him his word and he puts his arm around him. And what God does not say is, I know you feel alone. Let's go find you some friends. Let's go make some friends, which is good. You should make friends. But that's not what he says. Notice what he says. He says, I want you to go do what I called you to do, what I made you to do, what I'm empowering you to do. You can do it. I want you to go do these things. And then when you do those things, there's 7,000 other people doing these things alongside of you. I'm telling you, you find the people of God when you are doing the work of God. You find your people when you are doing, if you, wanna, if you wanna make friends with runners, then go running, right? If you wanna make friends with like bass fishermen, go to bass fisher places, all right? You know, you go there and then there'll be bass fishermen, right? And ladies, when you find the people of God, you find the people of God by doing the things of God. And so since that time, since that college experience, you know, that healed a lot of my pain, scars are still there, but it healed that because God had people and so God ministers specifically through his word, through his presence, through his peace, through his purpose, through his people. So here's the application. I want to make this extremely clear and I'll go as fast as I can. But the first one, and hear me say this, hear your preacher say this, your hurts, you hurt, and that is real. It is a real hurt. We can't see it. We can't put a bandaid on it, but you really do hurt. And I am telling you, I am sorry. The way you feel is real. It's just that it doesn't always reflect reality. You have a real pain. And so we're gonna start there. I'm just gonna acknowledge it. Maybe nobody else has acknowledged it in your life, but here's a couple of things that you can do. Eat well as worship and humbly Take some time, just a little bit of time before you make rash decisions. Don't isolate, find you some friends, go with your friends. Maybe you go with your small group leader. After three sleeps, ask your small group leader, or somebody else in your small group. Ask a buddy, just say, I just need to be with people. I just need to hang out, right? Go do those things. Rest. At the end of the day and at the end of the week, you need to be resting or you're gonna get into a spot and then get into God's word. You do those things and it will help. For a lot of people who are disappointed or discouraged, it'll probably fix a lot of it. It really will. For those who are depressed, it'll help. It'll ease it. 
but you'll still need to follow the last stop, and that is ask for help. In your bulletin, I put in a number of resources. The bulletin is the paper that's folded when you walked in. If you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out. And on the back, there's a number of resources. There's some books. There's a member of our church who's a mental health professional. He suggested some books and some podcasts. There's some articles from the Gospel Coalition. Also at the bottom there, there is uh, two centers. There's the Joshua Center here in uh, Conway. There's also SALT, uh, which is a counseling center in uh, Greenbrier. And so wherever you live, those are two recommendations. There's other great ones as well. The Joshua Center is the one that I have gone to, the one that Jackie has gone to, the, the help that talked to um, the people that we talked to. Guys, listen, I know, especially when you're like a young guy, like a young married guy, you're trying to figure out how to be like the man of the house and stuff. It is not weak to ask for help. It's not weak, all right? So if her dad wants to fix the car, let her dad fix the car. If, uh, if your neighbor knows how to mow the yard, let them mow the yard. You know, if that's what they want to teach you to do, then you teach to do. But if your heart hurts, if your brain can't navigate through it, and you've tried, you've done these things, but you can't, it is strong to ask for help. It is best for her. It is best for the future little y'alls, you know. It is good to ask for help. And ladies, I know some of you are raised with the grit um, of a southern magnolia, right? You are strong and you are mighty. And if you need help, you go get the help, right? You ask for help and help will be given to you. When we went over to Anaheim for the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, we went a little early because I wanted to see some stuff, right? I had no interest in seeing Disney, uh, but I did want to see some other things. And one of the things was the beach. And so one day, um, the Daniels and, and us, Jackie and I, and the Rainies, David and Abby, we went to the beach. And so we're out there on the beach. And it's one of the prettiest beaches I've ever been to. Uh, I've been to the Florida beaches, the Gulf Coast, of course. But uh, this California beach was beautiful. Huge waves, massive waves, right? I can see why they surf. And, uh, but no shells. That was odd. Uh, just beautiful white sand. And uh, so David and I decide we're going to go play in the waves. Why? Because we're 40-year-old men and we decide uh, we don't have any kids with us and we're going to play in the waves just by ourselves. So we run down there and we're playing in the waves and we are jumping over the wave because they were huge, you know. You're either jumping over the wave or you're going under the wave, right? It was dealer's choice. You know, whichever one you wanted, whichever one was more impressive. And so we did that a couple of times. And I was pretty impressed with how high I could jump over these waves and stuff. And David was doing good too. At one point though, I turned around and Abby and Jackie were pretending like they were not at all impressed. At one point, they weren't even watching us. I don't know where else they could see such feats of masculine humanity, but uh, they're just talking amongst themselves. But anyways, that did not, did not dissuade us at all. We just kept jumping and going under and jumping. At one point though, I jumped up, but I did not jump high enough. And that wave, I jumped up and I was turned sideways like this. And that wave hit me in the side right here. And I am telling you the truth. The next day, my ribs were bruised. All of this was black and blue and red from a wave hitting me. It's a big wave, right? And I did it repeatedly, all right? But this wave hit me and it hurt. It felt like a truck. I've never been hit by a truck, but it felt like that. And it spun me around and upside down, I'm underwater. Um, it was really, honestly, it was completely disorienting. At one point, my head scraped along the sand. It just, it hit me hard. And everything in me felt like it's going to kill you, right? 
And I know that's unreasonable right now, but in the moment, my thought was, it is going to kill you. That's what gripped me. And that's the way that depression or disappointment or discouragement feels to me. I don't know about you, but it feels to me that way. My, some of my hardest days are like on Monday, right? We have a great Sunday and everything goes well and the sermon landed and all that kind of stuff. And then the next day, I feel like I got hit by a wave, completely disoriented. Right after my greatest feats of success and strength and power and whatever, I just get completely knocked off my feet. But you know what I eventually did? At some point while I'm being driven back by this wave, I think to myself, I feel like I'm going to die, but I know that I'm not. My feelings were real, but it didn't reflect reality. And so I trusted in what I knew to be true. I knew it was driving me back towards the shore. And so what I did was I just let loose. I didn't try to stand up. I didn't try to swim. I didn't try to orient myself. I just rode the wave under it, but I rode it, right? And eventually, listen to me on this part, eventually that which seemed so strong, so deadly, let go of me. It let go of me. And then I was able to just stand back up. That's what I'm encouraging you to do, to remember to know what is true and to trust that because even though it hurts and even though it lasts longer than you want it to last, eventually it lets loose and you can stand up where you are. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.